Hey everyone, my name is Tandy and welcome to Diverted Diversions. For those of you who are new, I really hope you learn the mostest from our Bible study. I definitely have to apologize because I have been having technical difficulties. It's been raining non-stop for the past two weeks and I've just not been able to get a chance to fit in um, a recording session and it's taken a little bit of a pause right now so I'm trying to like just sneak in a session but there's a little bit of a thunderstorm as well so if <laughs> if that um, noise feeds back please bear with me guys <laughs> anyways Proverbs 3 verses 1 my son forget not my law but let your heart keep my commandments let's close our eyes as we invite the Holy Spirit my Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, your care, your guidance, and your protection. Father, we ask that you may remove all the distractions. You may remove the spirit of confusion. You may remove the spirit of offense as we meditate on your word at this time. Help us open our hearts, our minds to your word and receive it. And let not the enemy steal any of the gems that we are about to learn this evening. All this we ask in your mighty name we pray. Asking that your Holy Spirit may come in and fill us. That we may continue to be these beacons of light that shine with your truth, Father. In your mighty name we pray. Lord Jesus, Amen. Okay, so I know that I always say this, but for the benefit of those who are listening in for the first time, the law has both a literal and a spiritual fulfillment because God is a spirit and those who worship him must do so in spirit and in truth. So while speaking to faithfulness to a spouse, this also applies to our faithfulness to God. These principles are ideas that overlap. And I hope that as we keep studying the word, that these patterns will become clearer and clearer. And as much as it's necessary to a functional society that spouses remain loyal to each other, it is more so of a priority that we, as God's children, remain loyal to him. I mention this because it tends to be a bone of contention, especially in religious circles. The sin of adultery is one of those obvious ones that you can't hide. People will know eventually, especially if there's a kid involved. The concern is when people are more offended that a spouse has committed adultery against their spouse as opposed to being offended when Christians commit adultery against God. So we're going to talk about it. In this episode, we will discuss the covenant, marriage as it relates to vows and submission, and then we're going to talk about adultery, and our case study will be found in the book of Hosea. And then we'll wrap it up from there. I also recommend listening to the episode on spiritual adultery in the first season. In fact, there's a lot of episodes in the first season that kind of add to what we're going to learn, building on that knowledge, basically. You shall not commit adultery. This law is made clearer in Leviticus 18 verses 20 which says you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife and defile yourself with her. When two people are joined together in marriage, they become one flesh. As discussed in the previous episode, God even blesses this union with a child, which is the physical representation of this union, this, this bond, this, um, this connection. This union is only supposed to be broken by death. But over time, we were allowed to break these bonds of marriage. Cue adultery. Jesus spoke on this when he said, Moses allowed you to put away your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. 
but from the beginning it was not so. Matthew 19 verses 8 to 9. He even goes to say that the only case that is acceptable for divorce is if there was fornication. This word um, fornication is word 4202 in the Strong's Concordance. It's pornea, which happens to be the root word for pornography. But this, this word speaks to um, sexual immorality. More specifically, every kind of sexual immorality, right? For example, fornication, which is premarital sex, adultery, which is extramarital sex, same-sex intercourse, incest, and this even includes sex with animals or um, bestiality. In God's eyes, all of this is on the same playing field. The reference for this, for those of you who are fact checkers or truth checkers, is found in Leviticus chapter 18. Please do not for a second think that just because you've never committed one type of sexual sin that you're in the clear. It is the same thing. It is an abomination to the Lord. When you do this, you defile yourself. And to add on to this list, there's a similar word, perneo, which means to sell off. The, the selling of sex, right? Referring to what we would call prostitution. Stay away from these practices. But more specifically, we can see that this commandment refers to the act of a spouse who lies carnally with someone outside of their marriage. When Moses gave this law, it was clear that if the reason for divorce was not adultery and that spouse went on to marry someone else, then they would be guilty of committing adultery because they were still considered as being someone's wife or husband. They were still married, right? And this is why adultery became the only reason, the only acceptable reason for a divorce. I just want to remind us once more that this law was given to Israel just before they were established as a nation. There are benefits of a society where people do not commit adultery, fornicate or commit sexual immorality. So many unnecessary sorrows can be avoided. Things like unplanned pregnancies, sexually transmitted diseases, abortions, broken families, single parent households, heartache, depression, and the list goes on. And these were God's parameters. If you haven't tuned into the episode about how parameters protect us, I suggest you do so. This whole law protects us. In fact, you can actually tell just how degenerate a society is by how seriously they take this law. It is a serious red flag when people don't believe that sex is sacred. As we know, when God speaks, he does not stutter. When he created, the world was in darkness, but he spoke light. When God is telling his children about the parameters that need to be set up in the society that is to represent him to the world, he directly addresses sex. And it's funny because it's always such an awkward topic in our families and in church. I'd even go as far as to say that it's taboo. But our God, the creator of the universe, addresses it, therefore solidifying its importance. It is in society's best interest for people to not commit adultery. Sexual impurity is very expensive on the soul. Our generation obviously colors outside the lines of God's parameters, but by doing so, people defile themselves and the land that they live in. And all these things just bring confusion. Leviticus 18 Verses 23. The covenant. The seventh commandment is the only law that involves a covenant within a covenant. 
So what is that? What is a covenant? A covenant is a balance between a promise and a commitment. It's like a deal, right? God promised that he would be with his children, provided that they stay committed to him. The direct translation in Hebrew would be to cut the meat. Berit. This, this word is broken up into two concepts, which is bara, the meat, and karat, which means to cut. So you literally cut the meat. Why is this important? Because whenever a covenant is made, they would um, cut the meat up and pass the pieces around. And then the entity would pass through these pieces. Um, we see it in Genesis 15 verses 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Jeremiah echoes this in chapter 34 verses 18. And I will give the men that have transgressed my covenant, which have not performed the words of my covenant, which they made before me, when they cut the calf in half and passed between the parts thereof. Another layer of this is how Jesus broke the bread and um, passed it to his disciples when he was giving them the new, the new covenant. There are a few examples of God making a covenant with his chosen ones. And I encourage you to go and read the word for yourself and find out who God makes covenants with and what the terms of the covenants are. But the one I will emphasize for this episode will be the covenant between God and Israel. After God showed his mighty power in delivering the tribe of Israel from the clutches of the oppressive Egyptians, he cuts a covenant with Israel. God asks them to commit to obeying the commandments, the very commandments that we're going through right now which will serve as evidence of their set-apartness or their holiness. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them. As obviously they will be this people who will represent God to the rest of humanity. And the punishment for breaking this covenant was death, right? So you know how like we used to have, we used to make pinky promises growing up? Like if you broke a pinky promise, then the person you broke the promise to could actually take your finger. Covenants are similar like that. What you're saying is, if I break this, then you can do to me what we did to this animal. Spoiler alert, the Israelites did not keep their side of the deal. We do not keep our side of the deal. We stop being committed, faithful, and holy to God. And what's the consequence of that? What was the consequence of Israel being disobedient? They got split into two nations, Judah and Israel. And they also died. <laughs> Therefore, they deserved the sentence of death. This is why Jesus is so pivotal to our history, because he steps in, he takes our place, and he dies for us. Humanity broke its covenant with the creator. We have committed cosmic treason. Each and every single one of us has a sentence of death looming over our heads but if we accept the life that is in jesus then we have access to life through him and so god restored the covenant through jesus and jesus is god because john the first chapter of john says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god Verse 14, then the word became flesh. God became flesh. And he did this 
to be the faithful covenant partner that we have failed to be. It is through Jesus that we have a way of escape, a way to have a renewed partnership with him. And so this law, which is based on breaching the covenant of marriage, has its own obligations that spouses should be faithful and committed to each other. The covenant we have with God protects the sanctity of marriage, right? Proverbs 2 verse 16 tells us, Wisdom will save you from the immoral woman, from the seductive, um, from the seductive words of the promiscuous woman. She has abandoned her husband and ignores the covenant she made before the Most High. And where does wisdom begin? It begins with fearing the Lord. There are certain things that you can't do when you fear the Lord. I remember growing up, um, I was whenever there was something I was scared of doing, I would always be thinking at the back of my head, oh my gosh, what are my parents going to say when they find out? And this is the kind of attitude we are supposed to have. But because I'm not the standard of holiness, let's let's read a biblical reference to back it up. Genesis 39 verses 9. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against my God? So young me had the right idea, just the wrong execution. It's not my parents I should have been worried about. It's God. God is always watching us. So the way we live needs to honor him and revere the bodies that he gave us. Remember, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We talked about this in the episode about adjustments. Check it out if you haven't or if you need a reminder. So if we can commit to God in this way, then committing to our earthly partners like this should be a walk in the park. Because in a sense, it's like an extension of that commitment. You honor God in the way that you commit to your spouse. So husbands and wives are bound to each other via a covenant to God. This covenant is also one of the few that carries the punishment of death for being broken. Um, yes, all of them, <laughs> you can die for breaking all of them, but this is like, I mean, immediate death. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then they both shall die, both the man and the woman. So shall you put away evil from the land of Israel. As we spoke about in the last episode, the penalty of death was nearly put in place to rid the land of evil. Even at the end of the world, at the end of time, God is going to rid the land of evil before the new heaven and the new earth. And adultery is one of those things. It's one of those chief evils that are still committed to this day. This sin begins with the lust of the eyes. What the eye sees, the heart wants, and the heart produces the evil that we act out. This is confirmed when Jesus himself said, From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Matthew 15 verses 19 to 20. Again, keeping and breaking the commandments is a heart condition. We are who we are in our hearts first. Words and actions second. As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. Proverbs 27 verses 19. This heart is the same one that God said thought of evil continually before he sent the flood. Scripture constantly tells us to guard our heart, not to lust after others in our heart so let's watch what we feast our eyes on because we don't want our hearts acting on these things 
be careful of these reality shows and social media tempting you to lust after things so obviously this law deals with marriage in an effort to show the parallel between the promise and commitment made during a covenant we're going to briefly discuss vows and submission in a marriage i know some ladies might have cringed a little hearing the s word but hear me out and you'll see where this is going okay so vows so we should all know what a vow is. It's the part where the kids get restless just before the I do's during the wedding ceremony. Why is this exchange necessary? It's interesting because in the Hebrew Strong's Concordance, it this is a masculine noun. Word 5087, nadar, refers to a thing promised or an offering. So the parties involved state what they promise or vow to each other. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that they speak. Matthew 12 verses 36. Words matter. We might not think about it or even consider it important, but each word we say will be brought into account on judgment day and this is why couples are made to speak the things that they will commit to in their marriage do you take this woman as your wedded wife to live together under god's ordinance in the covenant of marriage will you love comfort and honor her and keep her in sickness and in health forsaking all others and keep yourself only for her, so long as you both shall live. If so, say I do. Think about what you would be agreeing to here. This is a journey from me to we. When you live together, you become we. When you're unmarried, your allegiance after God, obviously, is, is to yourself. Your allegiance is to the me. 1 Corinthians 7 verses 33. In order to be in a functional marriage, the me needs to become we. Your own individual needs are not above what is best for the relationship. You need to die to self. I hope you're hearing this. When we marry our spouses, our personal goals, dreams, and aspirations need to be on the back burner. And this is a foreign concept for unmarried people and like just selfish people in general. The same way that when you come into a covenant with God, our earthly desires and our fleshly desires must die for our relationship with God to thrive. Once you say, I do... You agree that the we becomes more important than me. And for the rest of your life, when you face a decision, that is what you have to consider. What is best for we? What is best for us? After the wedding, when the honeymoon phase has ended, this is what you are committing to. What jobs to take? Where are you going to live? Who to spend holidays with? How are you going to determine if you accept an opportunity or let it go? Is it really best for you as a couple? Sometimes you'll think it's not the best option for me as an individual. But in marriage, you aren't an individual, are you? To really become one with your partner, you kind of have to stop thinking about what you want and act on what's best for we. This is the kind of marriage that glorifies God, putting your self-centeredness to death. So ask yourself, are you really ready for marriage or are you still too selfish? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you tend to put yourself first. Because that selfishness needs to die. 
ask the spirit of truth to turn what may feel like a personal sacrifice into joy because that's what's best for us right because this will help you learn what it means for two people to become one guys take a moment to just think about how beautiful that is god is showing us through marriage the way in which he wants to relate to us another layer of this would be the way the uh, the the trinity interacts with each other they each have their own roles responsibilities and personalities and yet whenever a decision is made they come into agreement first they said let us make man in our own image ooh and i know i've gone off on a tangent but you guys just see how interesting this is like how deep this goes but before we move on to submission let's let's peel back on another layer in ancient israel um the man would have to make sure that his wife would have a place to live he's taking her from her father's home and so he has to have a place to bring her a home to bring her to and so and that is where he strives to make her as comfortable as possible listen to this I go to prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. I know when this message is preached the it, the message that is extracted solely focuses on um Jesus leaving earth and going to heaven but I want us to zoom in a little bit more. When Jesus said these words, he was reciting marriage vows to his bride, the church. He really does intend to prepare a place for us so that we can be wherever he is. Amen, Lord. Amen. Do you guys see how beautiful this is? Oh. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Oh Lord, this is so profound. This scripture um found in Chronicles as discussed in lip service, when you become a child of God, you take on his name. You become a representative of him wherever you go. So when you get married, wives take on their husband's name and they represent the household wherever they go well likewise husbands also represent their wives wherever they go this is not about um, men and women gender politics but it's a physical expression of a spiritual principle if if we can't even take our husband's name then how are we going to take on the character of god Don't even get me started on double barreling because we've already addressed the transition from me to we. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 1 John 4 verses 20 to 21 You need to be wholehearted in love. Remember we are the bride of Christ. And so the bride takes on the husband's name, representing her becoming one with him. This dynamic is also important because it teaches us how we are to relate to God. And as the church we take on god's name and his character each marriage that has been ordained by god echoes the spiritual reality when we become a child of god we become new creatures right and so when women become wives they become a new person with a new name 
And this is why it's so important that our partners are in submission to Christ first. No marriage can work if God is not the center of it. Children submit to parents. Wives submit to husbands. Husbands submit to Christ as Christ submits to God the Father. This is the foundation of a Christ-ordained home that is described in Ephesians. Okay, so let's briefly talk about the roles of a husband and wife and their importance in the representation of the gospel. Husbands are to love their wives, they are to provide and to protect. A wife is to submit and to nurture, right? We all know that men and women are different. Therefore, what's required of them is different. Men are required to love women. Husbands are required to love their wives. Wives are required to submit to their husbands. What does it mean to love? First and foremost, God is love, right? Secondly, we can root our understanding of love in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This gives a practical explanation of what love is. It's not a fuzzy feeling or butterflies in your stomach or like, you know, Cupid hitting you with an arrow. But love is a verb. It is something that you do. Men are required to be patient, to be kind, to not be envious, to not be puffed up, to not be easily provoked and to endure all things. The list goes on. And seriously, the chapter is even more beautiful when you replace the word um, charity or love, depending on which version you have, um, with God. It reads as the most beautiful promises. It's like God is patient. God is kind. Like, Anyways, that was just a side note. A wife needs to submit to this kind of husband. The way a husband can honor God in his marriage is for him to love his wife, right? And we've gone through the list of what love is. And the way a wife can honor God through her marriage is for her to submit. If a husband cannot love his wife, then how can he love God? And if a wife cannot submit to her husband, then how can she submit to God? The way that we practically love and submit to our spouses reflects our relationship with God. Rejecting these roles and these dynamics only hurts you. And ladies, yes, it's nice to be in control, but honestly, it is incredibly exhausting. There is so much strength and beauty in submission. And while there's no risk to submitting to the will of God, there is a risk to submitting to the will of man. After all, guys, we are fallen creatures. And submission requires trust. Because essentially, you are yielding your own authority to someone that you can trust. As women, you can't just be submitting to any man. The only man worthy of your submission is your husband. More specifically, a husband who is himself in submission to Christ. And as children of God, you cannot submit to any other school of thought that is outside of biblical doctrine, right? The word says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me, right? It's found in John 15. And so why do we fight so hard when... The word has told us to submit. You'll find women giving you every excuse of why they, they just can't submit. It's almost like women are allergic to submission. <laughs> women are convinced that giving up their femininity is a virtuous thing. Because of atheism, feminism, and the sexual revolution, women are being pushed into this, this unnatural way of being. 
And these ideologies make women focus on liberation from the traditional conduct which we've been taught. And this conduct has its roots in biblical doctrine. Becoming a boss babe on a yacht in Dubai is the goal. And these schools of thought are making women despise masculine traits in men while simultaneously cultivating them in yourself. Femininity is about being while masculinity is about doing. And you can't reach this level of femininity if you cannot submit. And if you can't submit, then you need to address the reason that you're struggling to. You need to see Christ and you need to die to self. Remember, we need to take our thoughts captive to obey Christ. He is the only one who can heal your inner wounded woman. You have to address when, how, and why you are wounded. Is it a broken heart? Parental issues? Traumatic incident? Or are you insecure? Search yourself and find out why it is that you feel so unsafe that you need aggression and a complete lack of openness, gentleness and vulnerability. Because this is the state that a woman was designed to exist in. And when you reject that and you start embracing more masculine traits, then you end up draining yourself. Trust that God made you for a grand and beautiful purpose and that he's the one who can help you return to it. No matter what, you are loved if you accept it. Cast your anxieties on Jesus because he does indeed care for you. You can choose to defy your innate pull towards femininity, but all that does is make you submit to internal disorder. Accept that it is your nature and let it fulfill you. When a wife submits to her loving husband, she cultivates humility. If a woman allows her husband to lead, then there's no room for competition in the relationship, which means there's less room for conflict. And this is why it's necessary to submit to a man whose judgment you can trust. If you allow your husband to lead, then you have time to focus your energy on other things. Things that can help you cultivate your strengths, which is to nurture and to show compassion. Feminine submission is liberation. It's very hard on the ego, I won't lie. But it's easy on the body and the spirit. This doesn't mean that you can't think or decide anything or you have to give up your personality, but it means accepting that we is more important than me. And the husband's leadership is about initiative, right? Because he will also ultimately take responsibilities for um, the consequences of those decisions. This is evident with God questioning Adam and not Eve. Women who disagree with this sentiment about submitting to virtuous leadership end up fetishizing toxic masculinity. And because they defy masculine leadership, they turn to men who let them lead. And this puts all kinds of pressure on them because now they are both the man and the woman in the relationship. This is incredibly exhausting. It causes stress and it breeds a deep desire to have real leadership. This also contributes to ladies having um, sexual fantasies about domination. Now imagine having to go down this whole rabbit hole just because you are in rebellion to your nature. Your load feels heavy on your shoulders because it's not even meant to be there in the first place. Adultery. So we've looked at the covenant and marriage. And now we'll talk about how this bond gets broken. Proverbs 6 verses 25. Lust not after her beauty in your heart. Neither let her allure you with her eyelids. Lust is the cause of corruption in the world. 
2 Peter 1 verses 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Master. According to his divine power, which he has given to all of us, things that pertain to life and righteousness, through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue, and by which things are given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, right? That you might be partakers of divine nature, having escaped corruption that is in the world through lust. Corruption is in the world through lust. The square root of breaking this commandment is lust. Men lust after power and then they commit abominable acts to gain that power. Women lust after lifestyles and expensive things and then they commit abominable acts against themselves to gain it. But this all starts with the eyes. You know that saying, the grass is not always greener on the other side? Or the grass seems greener on the other side? I don't know, that one about the grass being greener. The root of this is the lust of the eyes. Guys, this is what leads people to commit many other sins. The same way the heart, the same way a heart that has hate can easily kill an innocent life, the eye which lusts can easily fall into adultery. And we see this plainly when we read David and Bathsheba. David takes in the nakedness of a woman who is not his wife. The lust of the eyes made him act on this wicked desire, which made him commit many other sins. Because when he was told that she was a married woman, he should have dropped the issue. But lust is indeed a very powerful thing. And it is something that we need to guard against. If you know that you're a person who's very lustful, stop going to people's houses. Stop being on social media and looking at what other people have. Because what are you going to do? You're going to immediately... Con um, you're going to immediately compare yourself. You're going to immediately want it. You're going to desire it. And if you can't get it the normal way, then you're going to put yourself in positions where you have to get it in immoral ways. And so let's look at the book of Hosea. This, is, this book is a very tough read when you observe it from the surface. But when you peel back these layers, they're just... It's such a beautiful tale of redemption. When we see this man who is instructed to wed a prostitute, she cannot be a wife. So what does she do? She goes back to the streets and does what she does best. Then God instructs Hosea to go back to her, find her, pay off her debts, and recommit to her once more. It sounds just about as strange as God asking Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. Doesn't sound like a very, air quotes, God-like request, right? By law, he is legally allowed to divorce this woman and have nothing to do with her. But God uses the situation to give us a clearer understanding of his mercy. Again, we see this echoing the relationship that God has with Israel. God has been faithful to his people, but they do not commit to him. They prostitute themselves to other deities. They prostitute themselves to money, to luxury. And so God And so God had a choice. He could end off the covenant and divorce his people and leave them in death 
but instead he chooses renewal and restoration and not because we loved him but because he loves us i'll link a video in the description that summarizes this book effectively but i really hope you guys are seeing these parallels and patterns here there's a spiritual war that places marriage as its target spreading ideas that have the sole purpose of attacking the concept that god has put in place people are losing the understanding of what biblical manhood and biblical womanhood is and so they don't know what it means to be a man or a woman made in the image of god it's as if it's some confusing abstract thing in fact the very idea of what a man and a woman is is under debate right now everything we do needs to be guided by god's instruction god is the sovereign creator and so he tells us the way that things are and the way that things ought to be he doesn't ask us for our opinion it's not debatable because if you eat off that tree where you think that your knowledge and wisdom is above god's commandments then you will surely die and not only a physical death but a spiritual one a death a death that separates man from god and the more they rebel against god the more they bring this death onto themselves the more they bring this death onto the land that they live in this death pollutes the heart and people in the state do not even consider what god says and the problem with this is that he is the author of life he knows the best way to preserve that life he's also a loving god who gives us the choice to decide but when we choose against his law we choose death and curses over ourselves we're choosing to be separated from him and so the act of committing adultery while it is about stepping out of your marriage watch out for it when you do it against god and you step out on your relationship with god because the physical things we do represent our spiritual relationships with god and on the issue of marriage um there've also been other kinds of marriage that have been brought up such as same sex marriages right um jesus addressed this actually he addressed it in matthew chapter 5 and matthew chapter 19 And this understanding of marriage is based in Genesis chapter 2 when God ordained marriage between a man and a woman for the purpose of procreation, illustration, remember being an example to the world and sanctification. It's also made clear that whatever God has joined together, no man can separate it. And this means that God created marriage. he defines it and not us he is indeed the author of marriage and not us and so we don't have the right to introduce a concept like same sex marriage because by definition it is not marriage it's it's another thing secondly this concept goes against what was created in Genesis chapter 2. And I'm sure at some point in our lives we've all been sympathetic to this cause, but do you guys see how easy it is to be deceived? Do you guys see how easy it is for Satan to get us to agree to things which directly oppose God's word? Guys, you have to read the word of God 
every single day so that when you come into contact with an idea that speaks in opposition to what is in the word of God, and because you've been reading it, you know what's in it, you are able to reject these ideas. You are able to reject these beliefs, these ideologies, and these concepts that are false and evil. These are not issues that we have a say in because God has already defined it. He has already set his parameters and those parameters protect us. And there's this narrative that women are oppressed under the patriarchy. And honestly, I want to push back against this idea with everything in me. Because men who truly believe in the sovereignty of God and in Genesis chapter 2, they protect their wives. Men who love their wives, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, following those guidelines, they do not hurt them. And the word has told us that the greatest expression of love is a man laying down his life. And Jesus, Savior of the world, the greatest example that husbands should follow, laid his life down for his bride. He did this so that his church or his bride would not face harm. I encourage you to not let your heart get consumed by ideologies that will deceive you into coming into agreement with things that are against God's word. Seriously, guys, if a man is willing to die for you, the least you can do for him is fix him a plate and make sure that he's taken care of. God protects him and so he protects you. God nourishes you and so you nourish him one is not more difficult or more important than the other in closing marriage is not about a wedding day it is a lifelong commitment that honors the sovereign god and so let us not defile ourselves by committing sexual immorality because marriage is such a beautiful thing when god is at the center of it Love and submit as you have been instructed and watch the fruit of your union blossom. I hope the study is well received. Many of us were taught to flee sex and yet God created it. It is safest in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. We are to flee from anything else that does not fit this description. May the Lord add a special blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the study that you have given us. We pray that as all this learning has been happening, that you may give us time to digest and that you may give us time to remove things that need to be removed and solidify our understanding in things that need to be strengthened, Father. Prune us, Father. All this we ask in your mighty name we pray. Amen. From your host, Tandy, thank you for listening. Stay blessed.